0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of EMS Now, virtual on tour is what we're calling it. This is when we speak to EMS companies without actually being on the ground with them. Um, and uh, I get to speak uh, today with Michael Seltzer. He's a commercial, chief commercial officer with Zentech Manufacturing. And Zentech's been a very interesting company to watch here in North America for the last several years. So it, look forward to the opportunity to learn more about them. So Michael, um, let me just turn it over to you, let you kind of introduce yourself and give us an overview of Zentech. And while you're doing that, I will click on this slide as well so people
1: can uh, can see a little bit more. Thank you very much, Eric, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time today. Um, happy to talk about Zentech. Uh, my name is Michael Seltzer. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer um, for Zentech, as you mentioned. Uh, Zentech is a 25-year-old company. And uh based um, in three different locations with a home base in uh, Baltimore Maryland we've got a facility in Bloomington Illinois as well as Dallas Texas and we support uh, high reliability markets primarily in the aerospace defense and uh, in medical markets and as you can see uh, that's pretty much what we do that makes us pretty unique uh, we don't uh, we don't use uh, defense to round out our portfolio <laughs> Well said. Well said. Here, I'll click that
0: off and get us back in here now. Um, excellent. Well, let's start then. Then, Michael, start with. And you indicated that already. You know, it's pretty clear the type of what you're doing. But tell us, what is it is that you consider your
1: unique differentiator? You know, what is it that you guys do best? I, you know, I think there's two. When you look at uh, when you look at ZenTech, or when I look at ZenTech, you know what, what I what I see are two things. First is the external view, what people see us. I think when people see us, they see something extremely unique. Uh, we, as I mentioned before, we're dedicated to the high reliability market. Uh, we, we support more defense programs than most people quote in a year. And uh, for us, it's uh, focused on the defense market. Is not something that just rounds out our portfolio, but it is, um, you know, uh, it's, it's more than 80% of our business, as the chart showed. And this is what we do, and it's what we have done. We haven't changed our color. It's not something that we focus on or try to grow from. You know, as uh, as the defense budget grows or shrinks or whatever, it is what we do, and I think that makes us extremely unique. Uh, uh, secondly, I think is the internal view, uh, and, and I strongly believe uh, that our internal view. What I see as the differentiators are people. Uh, our people are very passionate about what we do and the programs we support they they provide uh, the work that we do provides protection to the war fighters to our national defense and securities um and our folks truly care and i and i and this is very important to me uh because i think this makes makes us very unique in that respect um you know doesn't mean we're perfect and uh you know we're we are dedicated to continuous improvement and uh, you know we don't always get it right but we'll, we're we're going to try harder than anybody else.
0: Gotcha, and so that's very complex electronics, is what I think, right? That this isn't uh, this is stuff that's very complex. The volumes are going to be smaller, mid, you know. But that the, is what comes to mind here, and even within some of the industrial, probably it looks like it's it's a lot of that type of manufacturing.
1: It is. The industrial, even the small percentage that we have there is high reliability industrial. And you're right. We are dedicated to the high mix, low to medium volume marketplace. Um, You know, there's a few exceptions to that. Um, You know, the, the worst question that I always think in this industry is, well, what's your average volume? Well, I don't know how many placements, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, how yeah. complex is it? Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we've, we've got cards uh, that, you know, like most people, we've, we've got assemblies that we put, uh, you know, uh, 12 components on and we've got other assemblies that we put 8000 components on, you know, and that's vastly different from a volume standpoint. uh that, uh, you know, so it's one of my, I, I hate that question in this industry, actually, but it's, and it's asked so often, because somehow, your response is a measure of how much more work you can take.
0: It's it. Well, I won't ask you that question then, we can move <laughs> on from there. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: so, you know, I also wanted to get your view of, you know, the challenges that the industry faces and, and what's happening there. And this industry has always had challenges, but the, the two biggest in recent years are clearly materials and kind of workforce labor issues. Why don't you speak to those? Maybe talk about materials first, kind of how are you viewing that impacting your business?
1: Sure, certainly. Well, the, the one thing I'd like to say, it'd be great if we could all get our story straight, right? Um, <laughs> you know, you've got people out there that are saying, hey, the market is getting pri- uh, better, prices are coming down. And, uh, you know, and and then there's others that you really say, well, I'm living it every day. And that's not really what's happening, right? There's the reality of, you know, uh, really what we see are pockets of improvement. And, uh, and it really depends upon, you know, what, uh, you, you know, what the commodity is, that you're trying uh, that that's that you're trying to acquire. Um and you know the other thing about improvement it, improvement requires a baseline. And uh you know it, it that's fairly relative based on, on on what your baseline is. If we're you know I I like to go say listen the baseline is pre-COVID because COVID pretty much shook up the world, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so if if really COVID is uh the baseline are we better than that? No, we're not. And mm-hmm. you know have we seen improvements from the worst of the worst yeah I th- I think overall in general we have but you know listen uh working on a very important customer quote today still 52 weekly times right that's still reality yeah. and uh, um you know um but uh, you know when it comes to that you know we've had to adapt and work with our customers differently we work with the customers now to bomb expansion is a really really big deal. Um, and so we work with our customers on bomb expansion, on strategies on how we can help uh, in in this market as you know, being as part of the high reliability market, our customers control the AVL or ASO. and that's just a reality most of the time, right? Right. And so uh, working on bomb expansion is extremely important. Uh, and our customers have adapted to this new environment too. We have one customer that totally redesigned their whole product based on component availability because their redesign cycle was faster than um, what they could uh, but than the lead time of the material. And uh, when I have, we have an, I have another example of another customer that actually changed major process cores uh because they got sick and tired of the you know annual price increases that happen uh and again their redesign cycle and changing the core um in order just to control cost My so, goodness.
0: yeah so, well, well what about the the labor
1: issue then how about the people yeah i you know what i i certainly think that uh we're seeing some relief in that area, it appears. And now I think that's different based on different areas of the country. Um, but uh, we are seeing some relief in that area. And uh, from the, I would say the worst of the worst. I mean, the industry has always, it's always been a training ground for OEMs, right? Um, and it's been that way for years. Um, the, you know, there's a reason that OEMs outsource and that's, uh, you know, you tend to be a little cheaper cost. And so it's a great training ground. And so we, we have to think differently. And so, uh, although we've seen some relief, you know, uh, our director of marketing, uh, uh, Stephanie Austin, you know, she came up with this great idea and try to, how to market our business different to the, uh, to younger folks who are not aware of what working in a factory is like. So she started a blog, her blog's been picked up by the IPC. And uh, so, and, and so she's done some interviews there as well. And just trying to figure out how to make manufacturing cool again. Um <laughs> And so, yeah. there's in addition to that, we're huge on interns, like interns, like having interns come in, especially in the engineering ranks. Uh, we've uh, we've been successful. We've hired interns that have stayed with us right out of college, um, and we and we like that. Um, and so, um, there's a lot of different ways that uh, um, you know that we try to do things differently. And quite honestly, in one of our facilities. We've had a good reputation locally. There's a lot of EMS companies in the area and we've had people walk into the lobby and just hand us their resumes because they've heard that it's a great place to work. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it, there's not uh, necessarily one right answer. All of these strategies that go together from a culture standpoint, thinking outside the box, you know, the recruitment and, and, and like most of our peers, right. Uh, or probably all of our peers, you know, for the, Depending upon the the skills, we'll use third partners in order for those. So there's not one silver bullet here, uh, but uh, all of them together uh, try to help solve this long-term equation. Yeah, you know, and I, I appreciate your comments because you, you what you
0: touch on too. It's not just the attracting; it's the retention, right? Sometimes fine. keeping good people is a challenge, and especially in a competitive environment. And if you have people walking in, that means the word is out on the street in that area that this is that you're a good uh, employer of choice, uh, and that a testament to the company for sure.
1: So. Yeah, good, good good folks. I, pre- I appreciate. Yeah. It. Now, listen. I'll talk on some
0: of the trends that are impacting the industry, and uh, you know, you 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 have a few years under you within the industry. So, uh, I just wanted to touch on some and, and to see kind of your view and get your opinion. How they're and are they real trends and are they impacting your businesses? On the first one, is really we hear a lot about is reshoring for for a variety of reasons. You know, people moving things around a lot of stuff. People thought it had to do with moving things out of China, but it seems to be more like getting back to in region for region type of
1: manufacturing, but, but how do you view that? So, um, uh, yeah, I, have you're right. I've been doing this for a f- couple of years and, uh, I've seen that pendulum swing from time to time. And sometimes the swing, uh, the pendulum swings for no other reason than just sentiment, uh, and, and, and public opinion. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Mexico is, uh, had been a recipient of a lot of work, uh, primarily from COVID. Uh, COVID taught us how fragile the supply chain really is, right? And um, I think uh, having things nearer, uh, you know, than China or India or other places, uh, I, I think Mexico is going to continue to be a recipient of that from uh, a true low-cost region, offshore, you know, across the shore to a nearshore opportunity. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I, I think uh, we've seen, even people that have been in Mexico come back more regionally uh, to the U.S. So there has been some reshoring. We have some examples of that from some of our customers. That uh, in, in, in And a portion of me uh, really wonders, our measurements are different today. And this is the other part of the pendulum. When I I used I spent some time in my career in supply chain, and uh, we had a really really good in the early '90s a good total cost of ownership model, and um, you know, <laughs> and so we looked at the to- what what was the total cost of ownership from acquisition cost to freight to I mean everything all, all things considered, and then we moved to a PPV measurement right. Mm-hmm and uh, when when we started measuring people based on purchase price variance then it was very monolithic and very i would say functionally oriented Response and and you got what you measured and so those things drove people I think heavily to a low cost region uh, and a lot of people were very successful at that but it's not a total company view and I think again the pendulum has swung back it appears uh, from the companies that we've seen it's more of a total cost of ownership model um, having you know again that supply chain that COVID taught us about making sure that it's a lot closer and knit uh, to where they're at and you know saving you know three bucks. You know, on the unit price may not be a, such a big deal. Yeah, now, no, yeah. I'm
0: also struck by the fact that going back to the, you know the the type of business and the sectors that you build in, uh, uh, leveraging Mexico may, will be your ability to do that will be somewhat limited.
1: Right. Yeah, Mexico is not technically or normally an option for us for most of our customers end product. Uh, So, But uh, I I do believe that Mexico for the industry, not necessarily for Zentech, but the Mexico for the industry is going to be a strong play for, I think, for a long time. And yeah,
0: I've been a big fan, especially of Guadalajara. I think it's one of the top three spots on the planet to build electronics Um, and uh, for a lot of reasons. And we don't need we don't need to do an advertisement for Mexico here because uh, they, they kind of speaks for themselves. Let me push on to another issue, and that is automation. You know, along with the labor, a lot of people have been talking about you know w- with the challenges in finding labor, and this is globally within the industry. A lot of people are turning to automation and increased automation for a lot of functions, and not just the the uh, the pre-reflow type of automation. It's a lot of the post-reflow as well. Um, What's your opinion on that? How are you seeing CapEx trends for the coming year?
1: Well, I think you're right. At a high level, even, you know, uh, pre-reflow, listen, I think CapEx is going to continue to grow. This is a highly capitalized industry and, and outsourcing, you know, I think will continue to grow as well. Um, and so therefore, you know, it might be measured, uh, you know, interest rates and those types of things, are, there's some geopolitical, you know, pressures that'll make that a little bit more difficult getting financing and whether you, if you have to do that versus paying cash, um, you know, interest rates make that a, t- a lot harder these days, but, you know, overall, I think, uh, you know, uh, the capital will continue to get spent, um, how, uh, how are on the back end, you know, in the high mix, low to medium volume, I, I really think that's the key, you know, uh that um, it's it's very tough to automate some of the things that are done on low volume, right? And when you have low to medium volume, as you know, right, the payback isn't there. You can live with 65 bus wires on a card because you're only going to produce 200 of them over the next three years, right? It doesn't justify the relay out cost and everything else. So you end up with a lot of back-end labor. And those types of things are very difficult to, you know, uh, to get robots to, to simulate and to do and to replace you know uh, human capital. Yeah. So I, I, I do think in the uh, I do think it, it it will be a big push for high volume manufacturers, consumer electronics, and those types of things, I think in the low to medium volume, I think your post, uh, as you said, post reflow automation, you know, you're going to have your standard things that you have today. Uh, But when, if you're, if you're referencing, Hey, listen, I really think I'm going to have robots, you know, install, you know um, you know, bus wires and things like that that are recurring or extremely time consuming. Um, No, I I, I don't see that much of an effect. Yeah. That,
0: that's a that's a great point you make there. The I uh, appreciate because yeah, there's a lot of people trying to sell you know boxes, so to speak, at the end, right? To do that you can customize with robotics and do all kinds of functions but volume op- obviously matters and most of the ones that I've seen doing that are exactly that kind of smaller kind of uh high volume consumer type products so um the other issue I wanted to ask you is about kind of supplier relationships and what areas do you see where deeper supplier relationships could bring value to your business
1: oh man and you know in my role these days I don't get to spend a lot of time with suppliers but when I do I always try to make sure that they understand how valuable they are to us. Uh, you know, suppliers are the largest portion of our cost and they're the largest portion of our lead time. Right. I mean, most companies can build things in days and weeks uh, depending upon the complexity and, you know, but we're still out there quoting, you know, months on lead time. Um, so supplier relationships are absolutely key. Uh, you know, I think few things in this industry matter more um, than, you uh, um, than, than those deep relationships and and for us in the defense industry you know if you're sitting around relying on a pass order to create those relationships you've solely missed the boat uh um, i i, I really believe that so um you know there must be a it, it's got to be priority and you know uh in in, in life as in business right uh it's uh it, it, it it's good to go with a partner than it is to go it alone so yeah
0: now that's excellent perspective and a nice nice comparison there. Um, the other partners and some people don't like calling that are, are the OEMs, right? Your clients. So so how are OEM customer relationships changing
1: in your world? That's a great question. Uh, thanks, Eric. Uh, l- listen, I think. Uh, um, I, I, I think the best relationships that we have and what I've seen kind of shifting over time, you know, we went to, again, another pendulum. We went from, hey, listen, you can't talk to engineers. You can only work through supply chain to we're back in the partnering realm uh, with our suppliers, you know. Uh, I, I you know and, and, and our customers uh excuse me I said suppliers but um yeah. so um, listen the best relationships that we have uh, with our customers are those that we touch on multiple fronts we have engineers working with engineers I got test folks working with test folks and uh, and you know the quality folks working with the quality folks and it, it's just a good open relationship and uh, those, those multiple input allow us to move much more rapidly. And I think customers have seen that when they're looking for innovation and they're looking for edges, they need to move faster. And that allows us to move faster together. It doesn't mean that we still don't have points of focus, right? Supply chains for all of our customers are still the only people that can commit, just like program managers for us are the only people that can commit. And uh, so that's extremely, extremely important. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you start to engage at those levels and you start to have meaningful conversations and solve real problems, then um, you know, that's, uh, that's what both companies want. And, and when you start to form those deep relationships, then you can ask the really important questions. How are you measured? How are you made sick How are you? How are you successful in your organization? And then once you start understanding that and then you get to share how you're successful, then you can come up with real solutions.
0: That's excellent. Thank you. That's great perspective on that. Um, you know, I'm struck by the fact that, that Zentech is also constructed through acquisitions over the years. Right. And so as your company grows and expands and if you do more, how do you ensure that you still foster kind of an innovative culture and 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 share best practices across the facilities?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I I think this starts and ends with a singular goal, and that's of continuous improvement. And uh, you know that's clearly a journey and not a destination. Um, and it's I believe that commitment starts with the senior leadership team, and this is something that the organization. You know they catch you can't you don't teach that when they see it in the senior leadership team uh, then it becomes infectious and that's when you begin to see what Peter Drucker said is true the culture eats strategy for breakfast and and so once that culture begins to take root and once people begin to see that and believe it. Uh, then they seek for themselves the innovation and best practice. It's not driven from the leadership team. They're out there. They they no longer see that, uh, hey, listen, I'm, they're asking for help and admitting that the process can be better instead of saying, hey, listen, you know, we didn't do good enough. It, it's no longer personal this is a desire to go off and just be better than where they were yesterday that's exciting and that's when you see I think true organizational transformation and when leaders begin to to embrace that change themselves
0: yeah I think I think you're absolutely right and I love the Drucker quote yeah that you know culture does eat strategy right um uh and 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 that it has to start and be modeled from high up makes, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, people will adjust to that. And it's either there or it isn't. And it has to be a continual. That's excellent comments. Um, so let me just end with kind of you looking in your uh, into your looking glass into the future here. Um, what is your opinion on the EMS industry? And, in, you know, this year, for, you know, we're one, what, three weeks into it now? And, uh, and maybe over the next several years, what's your opinion on the industry?
1: Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that I, I think the industry as a whole will continue to grow. I think there's some geopolitical headwinds that we're going to have to focus. You know, uh, there's some, you know, wars, uh, budgets, um, you know, so, you know, can affect dur- uh, different sectors, uh, uh, different ways. And, uh, but, uh, so I think there's some definite headwinds that we're going to have to focus, but, you know, in short, I think, uh. Uh, you know, this is still specialization in the EMS market is still uh, very important for customers, uh, our, for our customers, right? Uh, that, you know, their um, their best practice or what they're known for is engineering. You know, who builds the product? That's not what they get paid for. What they get paid for is their engineering prowess. And so, you know, so I think, I, I think outsourcing is a fixed firm price deal, you know, for most of our customers. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not a cost plus deal when you do it inside. And so I think it's going to continue to grow. And, uh, you know, the fact is the world, uh, consumers uh, for the industry as a whole have a need for what we do. And, uh, and and from that standpoint, I, I think, uh, in spite of the different headwinds that I think will affect some of the markets differently, uh, the, the industry, you know, the book to bill continues to remain high, uh, but I you're going to see continued growth over the next several years.
0: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that because I tend to share the same opinion, I think, with the, the major mega trends of electrification of everything, right? It, it's so pervasive in our lives these days that uh, and, and EMS have truly become the, menu, the electronics manufacturing experts on the planet. And uh, uh, as you indicated, they are good training grounds for the OEMs, but they're also the OEMs really need them to be able to be these experts in these fields
1: exactly right i mean you know the the customers that we deal with i mean the, you know their their customers come to them because of their engineering prowess right i mean that that's you know and and who ends up building product in the end is not a differentiator for these companies typically you know i'm i um i was privileged enough to sit through a, a consultant going through you know a fortune 50 company with me and i was in charge of managing that consultant during that time you know and you know 13 weeks into it they were just saying yeah this is it's not what your customers pay you for, as when I was part of an OEM, right? And uh, you could be that this is why they come to you. Uh, they could care less, you know, who does this portion.
0: Yeah. And,
1: so, you know, and so if you got, you know, four, six, $12 million dollars to spend, you're going to spend it on a new pursuit and a new engineering program. Yeah. You want to spend it won't be yeah. long, on a couple SMT lines. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> Michael this has been fantastic you offer great insight and it's clear that uh that you know this industry quite well so I appreciate you taking time today to kind of share that with myself and 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 our audience um I wish you continued success this year and beyond and and hope we get to catch up again because you're a good interview
1: thanks Eric I appreciate you
0: thank you take good care bye